Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. I'm Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida, where our aim is to point people up to God, teach them to follow Jesus, and equip them to make a difference. Thanks for connecting with us, and we pray that you are blessed by this message. I want you to say with me really loud, I want you to say right now, I can be emotionally healthy and spiritually mature. Now, now find two or three people close by and tell them same thing to you. Some same thing for you. Same thing for you. <clears throat> I worked for 10 years as an occupational therapist, which is a health profession in which you help people become functional and independent with their daily occupations and activities that are meaningful to them. If you, if you work in healthcare or in hospitals or, or in rehabilitation, you might be familiar with occupational therapy, but um, whether, whether it was helping older patients rehabilitate after a stroke because maybe they didn't have the strength on the side of their body, weakness, or maybe even paralyzed, uh, whether it was helping patients recover and progress after some kind of hand surgery or upper extremity procedure, because most of our daily activities we do with our hands, uh, whether it was running mental health groups for patients in the psychiatric ward to help them readjust into society, uh, or whether it was providing therapeutic activities, exercises, and play to help children with their developmental delays in their coordination, in their sensory integration, in their social interaction, or even their communication skills, that was encompassed in my responsibilities as an occupational therapist. It was there to help people. Now, especially in my services uh, with children and in issues of development, um, part of normal human development, and I'm talking about under normal circumstances. Obviously, there's conditions or there's situations where it's not a normal circumstance, but under normal circumstances, part of normal human development is health, growth, and maturity. Help me out. Health, growth, and maturity. So when any of these three is not happening, it causes us concern. Can I get an amen? If your child, for some reason you can see they're not healthy, that causes concern, you wanna get them healthy. Uh, if your child or your family member Let's, is physically not growing how they should be growing. Will that concern you? Yes, because there's a normal physical growth that you, you should be seeing. And if it's not happening, that will concern you and you want to get help. Now, the same thing goes for maturity. W would we agree that if a 15-year-old is acting like a two-year-old, that's a concern? And that happens. Uh, or if a 30-year-old is acting like a, like a three-year-old, that's a concern. Yes? Because now we're, talking about, now, now we're talking about maturity. Now we're talking about behavior. So when any, when any of these three or any combination of them are affected, it will cause concern. Can I get an amen? I want to show you a quick video. It's about a minute and 40 seconds. And my, my, please listen to my heart. My heart is not to make fun of this person. My heart is to bring to, the, bring to our attention a reality, and then I'm going to connect it to a spiritual reality. Can you guys follow me with that, with maturity today? All right, take a look at this video. Well, Fred documented a day in the life of his infantilism. Take a look. This is something I wanted to show you guys. The crib was made by one of my best friends. I got the uh, crib design from uh, online um, for an actual adult baby crib. The crib altogether was around $350 to $500. Money well spent, in my opinion. Make you happy, boy. Mm -hmm. 
This is the chair I made right after my crib. Um, it's a high chair. It's uh, three and a half feet off the ground. This probably costs around $250 to $400 to do all together. I throw stuff off here. I have tantrums. I eat. I get messy. Ooh. More? Yeah. Mm. The food was on the tray. I'm, I'm, I'm in my baby chair and I'm, I'm good to go. Down on the bed, I have all my onesies, my rompers, my snap pants. I have these things specially made from people off eBay who are really nice. Diapers and clothes and the whole baby stuff is not cheap. As a baby, it's not cheap. You should see it as an adult. Most of the money that we spend is on Brett and his baby things. All the baby clothes in my closet is approximately worth $4,000. <laughs> There's nothing more soothing than the bars being all the way up and me kind of glimpsing and looking and there she is checking on me. And I couldn't ask for anything more. Okay, so let's just hold that right there. You can reserve your comments for a family talk at lunch. Um, and, and let me just say that there are a lot of people who have this kind of situations. We're not even going to address maybe some of the reasons or underlying factors that can lead a person to this type of behavior. Okay, we're not even going to go there. I just want to say, I want to say, it's pretty obvious and easy to tell when a person isn't either growing physically or acting their age. Can I get, a, can I get an amen? Right. So today, we are initiating a new series here at Vertical Church entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. The title of today's message specifically is Emotional Health and Spiritual Maturity. Now, I want to get us ahead a little bit because we're a Bible reading church. So let's go together to two passages, Ephesians 4 which is where we'll start in a few minutes, and then 1 Samuel 15. If you have a bookmark or a marker, put that in 1 Samuel 15. That's where we're going to go towards the end of the message. Ephesians 4, 1 Samuel 15. Okay, so, so using this video as a reference, it's obvious to tell when somebody's physically not growing because it's physical, and it's also easy to tell when a person isn't acting their age because you can evaluate a person's behavior. But what about the spiritual and emotional parts of you? which we can't see. Now, at the center of this series, which, by the way, is based on a, a, a curriculum and book by Pastor Peter Schizero, which is called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I highly recommend it. I think we're going to be doing life groups in the future on this. Um, at the center of this teaching is the idea that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. They cannot be separated. Our tendency and natural inclination is to do so but they are inseparable. So here's a good first point if you want to take some notes and share with somebody later this week. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. I hope I have the attention of students and teenagers and young people here, but I hope I have the attention also of adults and even veteran Christians because I think this message is important for all of us. My prayer for this series is to help us understand and experience beneath the surface transformation, both spiritually and emotionally. Why? Because deeply changed people have a more powerful and more sustainable impact in the world. Changed people are the ones who change the world, and this requires maturity. So can we take a moment to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on this word today? Lord, we come before you asking you to speak to our hearts. Lord, from the, from the youngest middle schooler, 
to the, to the most mature, <laughs> eldest person physically here in this place and connected online. I pray that we would be receptive and that the seeds of truth of your word would land on good soil in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that we would learn, that we would grow, and this, this would help us on our journey with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look at somebody with a smile and say, grow up. <laughs> We're going to have fun. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I said to smile, so that should have helped. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, I want to read a quick a couple verses that Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and I think it's applicable to our church and to us today. And Paul basically tells the Ephesians church, let me tell you about a gift that God gave you guys. The Father gave you a gift here, and I want to tell you what their, because it's people, and what their responsibility is and why they're there. Okay, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, I'm going to read from the NLT, New Living Translation, and it says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, now who gave them? Christ. And who did he give them to? The church. Who is the church? Us. Here's the gift that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. So I don't know if you see me as a gift. <laughs> but let me say something. Let me say something. Let me say something. God has placed spiritual leaders in our lives, and that is a gift. Now, what is their responsibility? Verse 12, their responsibility, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to do all the work of the ministry themselves. Is that what you guys' version says? Oh, so it's not the pastors and the leaders of the church, they have to do everything, right? Oh, no, 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 okay, I'm sorry. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Who's that? All of us, to do what? To do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Okay, so... so <laughs> So the gift God gives us is spiritual leaders, and their responsibility is not to do the work of the ministry. Their responsibility, spiritual leaders, is to equip us for the work of the ministry and to build up the church, which is the body of Christ, 13. This will continue. When do we got to do this till? 2024? It will continue until we all, we what? All come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son, Jesus, that we will be, my version says, mature. In the Lord. You might have a version that says perfect or established in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like who? Like children. We won't, hey, hey, we won't be immature like children, which means we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Because how many know there's winds of new teachings every day? We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. The world we live in, can, can I just say a second? The world we live in sells us lies every single day. And the culture that we are living in, which is becoming more woke, more anti-God, more offline with the word of God, but it's being sold so strongly that it seems like it's true. And if you're not with it, you must be antiquated, messed up, and intolerant. So, so, so what Paul says is, I've given you spiritual leaders, which are a gift to you, and their responsibility is to help equip you and build you and prepare you so that you would be united and that, and that your faith would grow and your knowledge of Jesus, who's the son of God, and by the way, so you can mature. So that you are no longer immature, like like children. So my responsibility when I was an occupational therapist in the hospital and in the private clinics 
was to equip my patients with exercises, skills, and techniques to help them improve their function, increase their independence, and get as close as possible to what we would call WFL, within functional limits, or WNL, within normal limits. That would be my goal as a therapist. But my responsibility, now that I'm not a therapist, I'm a pastor, which is a spiritual leader. My responsibility is to equip you, God's people, to do what God has called you to do, wherever God placed you, and to build up the church together and to be united in our faith and knowledge of Jesus so that we will what? So that we would mature in the Lord. Not remain where we were, but mature in the Lord and no longer be immature like who? Like babies or children. The same issue that we just watched in this video with a 35-year-old or 40-year-old living like a two-year-old with a onesie, bottle, bib, chupo, diapers. That same video of an adult acting like a two-year-old is actually a realistic illustration of the common epidemic in the Christian church today. That one we can see, the one in the church we can't see because it's beneath the surface. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the common epidemic in Christianity and in the church today where there are so many people who receive Jesus as their savior and are born again. Okay, pause. Are we born teens? Are we born adults? Was anybody born with a goatee? <laughs> because when we're born, we're born what? Babies. So spiritually, when we're born again, we're born babies. That's normal. It would be abnormal for a baby to be born with the body of a 20-year-old. That would be abnormal, and it would be unrealistic, and that's never happened. However, however, what's the common expectation for that baby as time goes by? That the baby is healthy, grows, and matures within normal limits or within what's acceptable. Because if it doesn't, then we're concerned, and we go to the doctor. But spiritually, there, is, there, there ain't no doctor for that. That's why we have spiritual leaders that help us on our journey. So what I'm saying to you today is that it's a problem... When we see it, we see it clearly in the video, a 35-year-old trying to live like a baby, but we don't realize the epidemic within the church and in the mirror. When there's people who receive Jesus as their savior, are born again a spiritual baby, but at some point they get stuck and they remain spiritual infants, failing to grow, mature, and develop into spiritually and emotionally mature adults in Christ. And that's why, here's a good point to remember, that's why it's possible for someone to be a Christian for 20 years and yet not be a 20-year-old Christian. They're actually a one-year-old Christian 20 times. Because they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again without much true, deep spiritual growth and emotional maturity. And in there are pastors, pastors' kids, pastors' families, people who grew up and have been in church all their lives. 20, 30, 40 years. That's the years they've been in church. But their age spiritually is either one 30 times or two 15 times. Is somebody understanding the weight of what I'm bringing here today? Okay. So... So I want to bring it in love because I love you and care about you. And just like a good doctor doesn't lie to you and says, everything's okay. And then like, look at all these things messed up. No. A good doctor says, hey, here's some issues, here's some issues, and here's a way to get better. 
And so as, as a good pastor, I want to I present some issues so that we can reflect, self-reflect, and not self-deceive, um, which is something that we do well, especially Christians who think that because we've been in church a long time, we're so mature. Google. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Something is deeply wrong because Christian spirituality without emotional health can be deadly to yourself, our relationships with God, and the people around you. And that's why it's tragic when there can be people who go to church regularly, know a lot about the Bible, even serve and give in church, and yet their spirituality and their loyal involvement in their church have had little impact on their daily lives, including their marriage and their parenting and their personal integrity if they're single. Because they've managed to grow up emotionally underdeveloped and therefore spiritually immature. This is a real scenario of today's church, and that's why the Lord has put on my heart we need to disciple disciples who make disciples who make disciples, but there's no way we could ever get there if everybody is spiritual infants, yet they've been in church for 30 years. Are you with me? So the way I like to say it is, many Christians have received Jesus as their Savior, but they haven't fully positioned him as their Lord. Because, amen, I need a savior. I want to be saved of my sins. I want to be forgiven, and I want to go to heaven. We want that. But then making him my Lord means I surrender control. I put him first. His tithe, the tithe is his. Everything is his. My life is his. I don't do that because I'm his. Wait a second. Hey, hey, I just want to be my savior. Google. All right, so, so this leads me to discipleship. There's, there's different approaches to discipleship. So throughout the years and throughout history and even to this day, Different churches, different denominations, and, and, and pastors will look for the answers. Why is it that, that my son is this age, but he's just not where he needs to be? Why is it that I'm here, and I've been here so long, but I'm not? Okay, so different, different approaches to discipleship. So, so in our efforts to become true disciples, we try all kinds of approaches. So there's the one approach, which is more Bible study. The reason we don't have more disciples who are emotionally and spiritually healthy is because we need more Bible study. And let me tell you something. Bible study is important. It's part of spiritual growth and health, okay? But then there's other people who will say, no, no, we need more prayer. The reason is because you got prayer. You got to get into God's presence. You got to talk to God. You got to hear from God. Prayer. And other people will say, no, 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 no. It's about worship. We need more worship. We need to soak in his presence more. Right? And depending on what your personal preferences are, you might lean and might have leaned to one of these at some point thinking that's going to help me, right? And all these are good things, but then you have the person who says, no, no, more life groups. It's all about relationships. It's all about life groups. We need to get in community. Koinonia, you know, I know Greek, uh, you know, koinonia, and we got to get this going, and that's what it's about. And other people are still like, no, no, no. You want to know where it's at? You want to know for real? Somebody's for real? Spiritual warfare. That's more spiritual warfare. We got to be armed against the enemy to attack the devil, the demons, and the, and the occult. And that's real. And that's true. But then you have the other people who say, no, no. Real disciples are the ones who do outreach and benevolence. Because the thing is, we're all wired differently. And we will lean. Some of us will lean in certain directions. And these are all good things. But no, no, no. But no. The real one, the real true disciples, more prophetic insight. More the prophetic, more unique words from God delivered by godly men and women, prophet and prophetess. And then there's other people, no, no, you got it all wrong. The one, it, it's all about more grace. It's all grace. Grace, 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 grace. And here's the reality. 
there's truth that all of these have a place in our spiritual journey and all of these are biblical, but there's something still missing, which is the reason why you have people in all these categories who eventually also end up just as stuck. When people engage in some of these spiritual activities, disciplines, and experiences, here's the, here's the, here's the danger. They mistakenly believe they're doing fine even if their relationship life, their relational life is fractured and their interior world is disordered. So you can't be deceived. So here's the way I like to put it in the point. Because superficial spiritual growth in certain areas can cause us to ignore signs of emotional immaturity that are deeper within us. So I serve at church. Do you see how many times I went to prayer that month? I I give to God. And so we do these things on the outside and we somehow use that to justify or think we're well, but internally not much is changing, which leads me to the iceberg model. We talked about this last year, the iceberg model. And the iceberg model is when you see an iceberg, normally what you, right now we're getting the whole view, but normally when you see an iceberg, if you're in a boat or if you're in a land, what you see is the top. And what they say, generally speaking, the average is that you'll normally see 10% of of an iceberg because 10% of it is above the surface, visible, and guess what's underneath? 90%. Where is there more of iceberg? Under and unseen. And the same it is with us. In our lives, many times, the 10% that people see on the outside is just the superficial part of who we are. And guess what's easy to show on the outside? We're nicer here at church. We're dressed nice. We say amen when the pastor says a good point. Uh, we're respectful, right? We attend church. We participate in activities. We go to group. We clean up really well because that's what we're showing, and, and we should. And, and it's easy to try to uh, you know, address the things that we no longer do. You know, I'm no longer involved in that kind of thing because I'm a Christian, and, and all of us are works in progress, but I'm no longer doing those drugs, drinking all that junk, and going to those places and touching these things and going because, because ah, you know, look, 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 look at the 10%. So we clean up on the outside, but the problem is that the roots of who we are continue unchanged and untouched by Jesus. So the the, the superficial 10%, what other people see, the beneath the surface 90%, what other people don't see, and where is there more weight, and who am I really? The 10% or the 90? And so the iceberg model shows us that the problem with this type of Christianity is we can look like something on the outside superficially, but not be what we're looking like. The degree to which we are willing to give Jesus access deep beneath the surface of our lives is the degree to which we will experience true freedom in Christ. I want to share with you 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, and then I want to read about King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Come on, give somebody an elbow, tell them this is good. Ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. As I say these, I don't want you to raise your hand or give the person an elbow like, oh, that's you. I want you, <laughs> I want you to self-assess, okay? Because sometimes when you're given an elbow, that's a sign that it's you. So, ten symptoms of emotional unhealthy spirituality. Number one, this is, this is emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Using God to run from God. Using God to run from God. And this symptom is especially toxic because it's hard to see. Christians, including myself, can sometimes excel at filling our schedules with a lot of Christian programming and activity 
which sometimes can make it easy for us to hide amidst the services or the life groups or the prayer meetings or the gatherings. And so we can use God to run from God when I create a lot of God activity but ignore the God transformation that he wants to do inside me. And I've seen a lot of people get really involved in doing, doing a lot of church things for God. But it's almost like a mask from really truly being with God. Two, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. This is another symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Many Christians believe that anger, sadness, and fear are sins to be avoided. And commonly, Christians do not believe they have the permission to admit their feelings or express them openly. So what do they end up doing? They just ignore the feelings. But it isn't healthy physically, emotionally, or spiritually to ignore those feelings. Can I just say something? The way God created us, to feel is to be human. And to minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of Christ. We were created in his his image. By the way, God feels. And so you have to give yourself permission to feel. Not being honest with myself or others about the feelings or emotions that I have or I'm going through hurts and pains the beneath the surface aspect of my life. And I could put on a mask and a smile on the outside 10% and be devastated, depressed, and lost underneath the surface. Three, dying to the wrong things. Symptoms of emotionally healthy, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Now, the Bible calls us to die to some things, especially sin, especially things that don't lead us to a stronger relationship with Jesus, things that could cause us to stumble, things that that aren't going to help us. The Bible calls us to die those things, uh, to those things, uh, to selfishness, for example, to sin. However, we're not supposed to die to certain things, and sometimes in the name of God, we're dying to the wrong things. If we're dying to the God-given desires and pleasures of life, like good friendships, like, like um, good music, like healthy atmosphere, laughter, we don't have to die to those things all because I'm just a Christian. No, we have to die to the right things but not die to the wrong things. Four, this is a big one. We're going to talk about this in the series. Denying the past's impact on the present. This is a big symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And it's so easy to assume that your past is simply dead and gone, having no impact on who you are or what you're looking to do in the future. But if you make this assumption without having dealt with the past, then this is harmful to your emotional and spiritual health. Um, You know, even even simple concepts like like having somebody who who can listen to me, uh, having a counselor uh, can be seen by people in our culture or even in the church as, what? What do you need that for? And, and, you know, we can go to God vertically for things that we need from God, but we also can go to God's people or godly people. And, and here's the problem. So many people are excited to open the door to their tomorrow, but the problem is you haven't closed the door to your yesterday. And if you don't close the door to your yesterday and you open the door to your tomorrow, a lot of that's going to just go right through. And that's why you have to be aware that your past is affecting your present and your future unless and until you cut that off and become free from it and address it. And and we're going to talk about this, I think, week three or week four. Um, But a lot of us don't consider how our family of origin has a significant impact on who who we are and how we are. 
And sometimes that's not good. And there's some things that need to be cut off. Five, dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. This is a symptom of an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. When, when, when you have that, when you, when you can easily just separate, oh, it's Sunday. Okay, it's church today. Today's God. Then, oh, it's Friday. Oh, yeah. We'll do church on Sunday. And, and my life is so easily segmented and segregated and separated as secular and sacred, as, as godly and worldly, that will lead you to a mess in your life and definitely not health or maturity spiritually. Um, and there's a lot of people who tend to assume that just because I go to church, I'm a good person. And the truth, none of us are good. Only Jesus is good. But, but that whole thing of living with one foot in the world and one foot with God, it is the worst. Because think about what happens if you're on a fence and you do this. Especially men. It's not good. But that's where a lot of people live. A lot of people live, how close can I come? Risking so much. And I want to challenge you. Don't divide your life. The Bible says, hey, just be hot or cold. But don't be warm. Because lukewarm, bleh, Like. Six, doing for God instead of being with God. Doing for God instead of being with God. And uh, it's, it sounds similar to the first one, but it's a little bit different. It could look holy and spiritual to be busy doing things for God, but when we're doing that at the expense of not actually being with God, and so the mistake is we think that if we do enough for God, then we're going to be good with God, when truly it's when I'm, when I'm being with God, my outflow is going to be doing for God in a healthy and righteous way. So I can't evaluate my spirituality based on how, how much I'm doing. And by the way, if you're not doing anything for God, that's also not a good thing, right? Well, pastor told me I don't have to do, do much of things for God. Well, if you're not doing anything, you need to start doing something for God. But it will flow out of your being with God. Seven, spiritualizing away conflict. This is another symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. A lot of us try to sweep conflict under the rug. We try to pack it into the closet and then hope that nobody looks under or nobody opens the door because it will just be an explosion. And some of us avoid conflict because it's just annoying. How many think conflict is annoying? And so many, so many people avoid conflict because we're people pleasers and we don't want to bother anybody and we don't want to ruffle any feathers. So we'll just say, let me just ignore it and hopefully they'll ignore it and then we'll all be good, right? And all this unresolved conflict. Unresolved is undealt with conflict. And it will get to you eventually. And it is emotionally and spiritually immature. It's funny because in the Gospels, Jesus shows us that healthy Christians do not avoid conflict. Out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted false peace all around him all the time. He disrupted false peace to be able to bring in true peace. And so a lot of us will be like, oh, I have an issue with him or she has an issue with me. It's like, I'm just going to ignore it. Three years go by and like, we're good. And no, no, you ain't. That's a false peace. Eight. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. This is another way of saying like masking. Shame is one of the most universal human feelings and all of us sometimes are ashamed more often than we would like to be because we don't remember that our standing before God is not based on our performance, it's based on Christ's performance. But in our sinful shame and nature, just like Adam and Eve, we hide. And we try to find some fig leaves and try to hide ourselves. And you know what's interesting about the Bible? The Bible doesn't hide any of the men and women of God's weaknesses or flaws. It's a reminder that we all have weaknesses and flaws, and we all need Jesus. We don't need to cover it or hide it. 
In fact, there's power when we, when we expose it and say, God, we need you. Nine, living without limits. Another symptom of unhealthy emotional uh, spirituality, living without limits, which is when we, when we bite off more than we can chew and we think we're Superman or Superwoman and we're so focused on doing all these things for all these other people because we're just so helpful, we're so good and, and then we're out of order and we're out of balance. 10, last one, judging the spiritual journeys of others. This is a symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. By the way, this one runs rampant in the local church and in our hearts. We're competitive, sinful people, and this causes us to evaluate our own spiritual triumphs and failures in light of the people around us. And so if I'm doing more for God than you, then I'll feel better than you. And if you're doing more than God for me, then I'll feel less than you. And we do that comparison game. And by the way, that's so illogical because guess what? You know when you're like complaining about that girl, look what she's doing, she's from church. Yeah, but she's 13 months old. You've been going to church 13 years. She's been going 13 months. She's a spiritual baby just starting to walk. And you should be way farther than where you are. And you're complaining about her? Look how he dressed. Look how she dresses. Look what he's doing. She's a baby. She needs you to come into her life and reach out. And say, what's up, girl? I got to this hospital a few years ago, and I can help you out. Let's walk. Let's do this. Let me help you as opposed to look at her. I mean, is anybody catching this? Are are you catching it? My my prayer today was that that we would be disarmed today before the Lord in a good way, bringing the, the truth and love. If you know me, you know that I love you, and that's why I'm preaching this. Um, we bring the truth with love, right? Because truth without love is harsh. Um, and love without truth is unloving. A person can only, a person can grow emotionally healthy without Christ. Did you know that? There are people that are emotionally healthy without Christ. I can think of some non-Christian people who are more loving, balanced, and civil than many church members I know. But they don't have a deep walk with Jesus, so they haven't been born again. And at the same time, I can think of people who are really into prayer, know a lot of Bible, and are active in other Christian disciplines, and yet they are emotionally immature, socially maladjusted, a mess in their personal relationships, and they're unaware, defensive, judgmental, and critical. It is in the two together. Emotional health and contemplative, mature spirituality that releases great power in our lives to transform our spiritual lives, to transform our families and our workplaces and our churches, and ultimately, I think, the world around us. By the way, we see some of this true, genuine, emotional openness and health and spiritual maturity in the life of David. We're not going to talk about him today, but we don't see it in one of his counterparts, who is Saul. Let's go to Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15. Are you guys okay if we park it here for the, for the end? First, first Samuel 15, let me, let me give a little context. We're going to talk about King Saul's immaturity. <laughs> um, if you know a little bit of, of Bible, uh, King Saul was actually the first, the first king that the people of Israel officially had because they wanted a king. Not because God wanted to give them a king, but because they asked for a king. 
And uh, I think Saul is probably one of the greatest examples in scripture of someone suffering from a bad case of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And in this story, we're going to meet King Saul, who, by the way, is advised by the prophet Samuel, who's a prophet of the Lord God, uses the prophet Samuel to bring word to King Saul for direction and wisdom. And I want you guys to read with me God's instructions to see if maybe, if maybe it, was, it was the problem with the Samuel, the, the, the interpreter, you know, the one that brings the message, or God, or Saul. First Samuel 15, verse 1. Is everybody there? Yes. Samuel, who's the prophet, he said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. So, so who's talking? Samuel's talking. Who gave him the word? The Lord Almighty. And who is he speaking to? Saul. So God says through Samuel, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as a camp as they came up from Egypt. Now, now Saul, go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Pause. What is he to do? Attack them and what? How? How should he destroy? Totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Okay, pause. For those of you that are really sensitive and don't have a biblical understanding, why the infants? Because the infants can't do nothing if mom and dad aren't there. Okay, so there's a lot that you need to understand, but we don't have time to go into why God called this specifically against the Amalekites who were against God's people. Are you with me? We can't go into that right now, but just to understand, God is God. He is just, he is sovereign, and he knows why, and by God's grace, uh, heaven is, is for the kids, okay? Now, question, the instructions for Saul, are they unclear or are they clear? He is to go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Who should he spare? No one. Jump to verse 7. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites, good, all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Everybody say, uh-oh. That wasn't the instruction, right? He took him alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and guess what? And the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves, ooh, the lambs, and everything that was good. Was that what God asked him to do? These, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Because sometimes we just know what's best, right? Even though God told us. Verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul, but he was told, check this out, Saul has gone to Carmel. Oh, I wonder what he went to do in Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. Like Saul's just got these brilliant ideas. (laughs) When Samuel reached him, Saul said, Samuel, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Pause, pause, pause. Did Saul carry out the Lord's instructions? But he just told Samuel, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Because when we are emotionally immature and spiritually immature, we are prone to self-deceive ourselves. When you've been in church a long time and you've done and you've done and you've had positions and titles and even when you're new and you do, you think, you think you know and you think you're doing the right thing and you can, 
He is not doing what God asked him to do, but he is completely convinced that he is. I've carried out the Lord's instructions, 14. But Samuel said, yo, yo, what is this bleeding of sheep in my ear? <laughs> You're saying you did everything the Lord told you to do? And, and, and what is this lowing of cattle I hear? That's supposed to be gone. Saul answered, the soldiers, oh, Samuel, let me tell you. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, you know. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle, you know, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Because sometimes we, we use, like, look what I'm doing for the Lord. Look how good we are. And this, we're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. But God ain't never asked you to sacrifice that. He asked you to destroy that. Christians in 2023 are just like Saul in whatever year that was. Because we use, like, look what we do. Look what I did. Look, I'm a Christian. Amen, hallelujah. Praise God. I go to vertical. But then there's all this other stuff that you're not doing that God asks you to do. Including putting to death some things. And you're just feeding it. Because it's the fat of the ram. I ain't no baby. Google. What? Oh, where is it? 15. Saul answered. Oh, yeah, we did this. 16. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Let me, Saul, let me fill you in. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. And I brought Agad back, their king. The soldiers, the soldiers, by the way, took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, this is a good verse here, guys. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? For to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, or listen, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men and so I gave in to them. People pleasing. Okay, so let's just wrap it up there. Saul had a bad case of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. He is emotionally unaware. He's not in touch with his fears or his need for approval or his tendency towards self-deception. Unlike David in the Psalms, he makes little connection between his emotional world and his spirituality. Also, unlike David, we never see him passionately developing his personal relationship with God. And over time, it slowly destroys both his relationship with God and his relationship with others. And I wonder if that's why we have so many problems even with Christians in the church. 
There's some important lessons that we can learn here, and I want to finish, up, finish this off. But can I just say, is it not easy to read this story of Saul's life and identify, man, this guy was so emotionally off and spiritually immature, right? And that's why I'm here to t- today to tell you we have to kill the Saul inside of us. Because it's easy to watch the video of the 35-year-old acting like a two and being like, hey, something wrong here. But it's hard to look in the mirror and recognize I've been in church for 20 years and I'm only two. When did my mom buy me these onesies? Now, I'm being facetious and funny, but this is the reality of so many of us. My prayer is that it stops here. And you start putting on some pull-ups, baby. You start transitioning to some Nestle Quick, like... Like, like, let's take some, I don't, I don't need you to go from crawling to driving a plane, but let's take some steps. And let's not self-deceive, because look at all the things I've done for the Lord, and God's saying, obedience is more than sacrifice. You're doing a bunch of things I didn't ask you to do. Two keys for emotional health and spiritual, spiritual maturity, and we'll finish with this. Number one, allow God to expose and dismantle your false self. Talk about this for a second here. What does this mean, false self? False self is when you allow external appearances or talents or accomplishments to give you a sense of self-worth. And so you use them as a way to protect yourself or prove yourself. Saul resisted this so much. He is self-promoting. He is filled with fear. He is defensive and he's self-protective. In fact, in the middle of all this thing of what God asked him to do, we find him building a monument for himself. He somehow convinces himself that he's going to honor God by building a monument for himself. Tell me if that's not self-deception. And so his false self is so much part of him that he has a hard time seeing it. Here's the key word. Saul lacks integrity. What does that mean, pastor? When you lack integrity, it means you pretend to be something on the outside that you are not on the inside. And let me just tell you, tell you, it is easily exposed before the Lord, and eventually people see it. <clears throat> Pretending to be someone we are not is so big in today's culture that we rarely think twice about it. Politicians do it because what do they want? Votes. Business people and salespeople do it because they want what? sales. Magazine editors and graphic designers, they don't use the real photo. They brush it and touch it up. It's not the real thing, but they want to show you something like if it was. Even employees at workplaces, they put on masks in front of bosses for the promotion. Young adults and youth and students, they put on a facade at school and wherever they are. Why? To impress their friends and maybe want to be liked by people. Even in church, we can put on masks so that certain people will like us or think about us in a certain way. And it's so easy to pretend to be something on the outside that we're not on the inside. Basically, every culture in society today falls into this pretending. But let me say something. As Christians, God invites us to be our unique selves before him, not pretending to be something or someone that we aren't on the outside, which is different than the inside. We are called as Christians to be countercultural Christ followers. 
we bear witness to Christ, how? By living life with authenticity and integrity. But it doesn't come without a price. You have to be real. For this to happen, we have to die to our old false self in order to authentically live out our new true self in Christ. And that means that, hey, I might get a little bit of a gash to my reputation because if I'm real, you'll see who I really am. And I got to do that before the Lord first. I got to do that with myself, with the people I love. But you want to take some steps towards emotional health and spiritual maturity? Allow God to expose and dismantle your false self. Don't play the, I've been in church for years. I know all that. I know, I know all that. That, I taught that. Google. Google. Two. And that's it. This is the last one. Slow down to be with God. Slow down to be with God. Notice it's not slow down to do for God. This has to do with balancing our being and our doing. Saul, like many of us, finds himself doing way more activity in the name of God than his inner life can truly sustain. He's not prayerful or reflective with himself or with God. And this causes Saul to make a lot of poor decisions. Emotionally unhealthy spirituality can have destructive effects on your life, your relationship with God, and your relationship with others. So what do we got to do? We got to slow down and take time to consider how our activities doing balances with our contemplating being with God. Most of us have way more activity going on in our lives than our inner lives can sustain. So slow down to be with God. Saul was really busy doing a lot of things. We would probably say about Saul that he was a faithful church attender. He was serving the Lord and giving. I mean, he was giving sacrifices. He was giving fat rams. He was, he was doing for the Lord. But he didn't cultivate his personal relationship with God like David. Why? Because he lacked. He failed to understand that to obey is better than to sacrifice. So I want to encourage you today to begin to be intentional in slowing down to spend time with Jesus every day. I'm not telling you that you have to spend two and a half hours every day. But just start by putting him in your agenda every day. Just start with a realistic goal. But slow down enough. Oh, Pastor, I don't have time. I know, that's the problem. That's the problem. I want to encourage you to begin to develop your own personal deep relationship with Jesus. Don't settle for living vicariously off of the spirituality of others, like your pastor or anybody else who leads and teaches you in any way spiritually. If we don't begin to abide in Jesus and in his word. By the way, that's one of the D's of discipleship, right? Diet. A true disciple feeds on and abides on God's word. If we don't do that, very little is going to change below the surface. On the outside, things look great. Top 10%. But the 90%, the real me, the, the real self will be untouched. And so my prayer through this series and these next couple of weeks as a church, for those of you who are part of the church family, 
is that you would be challenged to go beyond surface superficial spirituality to one that is deeply transformative. And remember, I can't change me. You can't change you. You can't change me. I can't change you. That's God's job. God's job is to change me. My job and your job is to position ourselves before him, before his word, before his presence, so that he can do the work in us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to self-assess and evaluate where we are with you and how you want to work in us. Lord, I thank you because today's word can be convicting and conviction of the Holy Spirit is good because it shows us truth, but it also gives us a way towards healing, towards health, towards freedom. I pray, Lord, that as we evaluate and sincerely assess our emotional health and our spiritual health and maturity or lack thereof, I pray that that would cause us to lean into you. I pray for men, women, and young people in this place and online who might come to the reality and understanding, man, I've been going to church for a long time, but I, I'm definitely not as old as I should be spiritually. And I pray that that would cause us to be willing to allow and expose our, our false self so that you can develop our true self. And Lord, I pray that as we take slow down to take time to be with you, that that would deeply and eternally change and transform us in such a way that we can now be instruments in your hands to help disciple, transform, and impact other people. Thank you for your word, Lord, and, and forgive us for if we've had a complacent attitude and spirit in our spirituality. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that sacrifice is more than obedience. And forgive us for self-deceiving and justifying things that we want to do as if you called us to do them just because we think we're doing enough good things to cover it up. Work in us deeply, Lord. Grow us, mature us, develop us. We want it, we need it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to I wanna finish off. Come on, give it up. Anybody feel like God spoke to you? Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love you so much. I don't want to see you. Like, like if, if it's time for you to be, you know, out of diapers, I don't want to see you there. And if it's time for you to be beyond, like, like take steps. Now, if you are born again, start there. And, and invite the right people in your life to help you on the journey. I want to finish with one last prayer um, because the reality is nothing can start until I surrender my life and my heart to Jesus. Um, that's the first step in any kind of spirituality with the Lord. And the Bible said, the Bible teaches us about the gospel of Jesus. And the gospel basically is the fact that, that we are all sinners and that's bad news because everybody deserves death because of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God sent Jesus and Jesus paid the price to pay for our sins. And Romans 10 says that if we, if we believe it in our heart and we confess it with our mouth that Jesus is who he says he is and did what the Bible said he did, that we will be saved. 
And salvation is not a church membership issue. It's a surrender your life to God issue. Um, salvation isn't, oh, I said the prayer, so I'm saved. That's just a first step. But what will truly show is as time goes, the fruit in your life will begin to change because you are no longer the old you. You are the new you in Christ. And so I want to invite anybody who doesn't know God to know him today. We're going to say a prayer together. We'll call it the prayer of faith, the sinner's prayer, the new believer's prayer, which is basically door one. Open up, boom, walk through to begin taking your first steps in your journey to not have religion with God, but to have relationship with Jesus. And so I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or come forward just from where you are. You can pray this prayer if you're online. You can pray this prayer. Close your eyes real quick. Bow your head one last time. And maybe you can recognize honestly and sincerely today that you're far from God, you know. Uh, you don't really know Jesus, but you're willing to and you want to. Or maybe at one point you were close, but you've strayed away and it's time to recommit and reconcile your relationship with Jesus. That's for you too. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Virg, include me in this prayer. I want to accept Jesus as not just my Savior, but also my Lord. I want to be saved. I want to, I want to be free. I want everything God has for me. If you want that and you want to say this prayer sincerely with all your heart today, just raise your hand real quick. I want to know who I'm praying this prayer with today. I'm seeing one, two, three. Anybody else? Four. Four hands. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Repeat after me. Say, thank you, God, for loving me and for forgiving me. I recognize today I'm a sinner. I've messed up and I need forgiveness. Thank you, Father for sending Jesus to pay for my sins on the cross at Calvary. I believe it and I confess it. Jesus died and rose again to give me life, forgiveness of sins, and salvation of my soul. Jesus, I repent of my sins and I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. I want you in my life. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Renew my mind. Make me a new person. I want to be emotionally healthy and spiritually mature. Thank you, God, for saving me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. You can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.